Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is the appointed epistle reading. It's written in the book of 1 John. We read as follows. This is the message we heard from him, him and proclaimed to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but still walk in darkness, we are lying and do not put the truth into practice. But if we walk in the light just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, what, with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Dear friends in Christ, I think most of you at least would agree that it's sometimes it is important to sit back and look at a group or an organization of people and say, is it really continuing to follow what its purpose was, what its goals are, and so forth? It can happen, and some of you I'm sure have seen it happen, that over the course of time people forget why they're gathering together or new people join the group or the organization, again, things change. I'm going to name two hot-button issues. <laughs> they're, they're political, but I think they illustrate the point. I'm not trying to get into politics, but a public school system. Is it there to educate or indoctrinate children? Is it the purpose of our schools to teach the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic? Or is it to indoctrinate them with certain philosophies and beliefs and so forth? Hot button number two, professional sports. Are they there to give entertainment to people who are willing to pay a lot of money to watch some of the best athletes in the world play football or basketball or whatever? Or is it their purpose to get involved with political issues? Now, I, my guess would be some of you would take this side of the issue, and I'm sure if you went through Madison, you'd find some that would take just the opposite position. Those aren't our concerns. 
Our concerns are, why are you gathered together? We may have Democrats and Republicans. We may have people who love sports or hate sports. But we're part of a visible congregation. Now, you would think from the get-go that it would be clear what our purpose is. The commander-in-chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, has not changed or altered his word to us that we should go out and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and teaching them. It is the word of the commander-in-chief that we should preach the gospel throughout the world. Is that happening? Well, later on in the sermon, I think some of you are going to say, hmm, I'm not, I'm not quite so sure. Today's text kind of deals with this. The word light is brought up again and again and again in this text that says, God is light, him is no darkness. It says those who are his followers, they walk in light, they don't walk in darkness. And just maybe, in the next 15 minutes, some of you are going to say, Lord, give us some more light. Keep the light of Christ burning in this congregation. I want you to get the setting of today's text. It's about 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus. We're in the life of the Apostle John. You may not think of it very often, but John is the author who wrote more books of the New Testament other than the Apostle Paul than anyone else. He's an important person. John was one of our Lord's 12 specially chosen disciples. He is the disciple who is called in the Bible the one whom Jesus loved. He is the one who, if you recall back about two and a half weeks ago, that on the cross Jesus said, Mother, look at John. John, look at Mary. You take care of her. There weren't the social nets that we have today. And John took that responsibility on. John's ministry took him to the area of Ephesus. If you're not familiar with Ephesus, Ephesus is on the western edge of the country we call today Turkey. And there John did his ministry. And by the way, just in passing, there's where John is buried, and very credibly, so is the mother of Jesus, buried in Ephesus, hundreds of miles from the Holy Land. The Apostle Paul is dead, and John is now an old man. When I worked on today's sermon, I had to laugh a bit because it was probably about the age that I 
But he had just a wonderful relationship with the people. Did you catch the words? My little children, a pastor who loved his people and his congregation so much he called them his dear little children. And he says, I write to you so that, so that you don't sin. That's my goal. That is my purpose. I want you close to your Savior. John wrote this letter that we call 1 John to a number of congregations. We don't know just how many, but you can probably assume that with the book of Revelation was directed to seven churches, Pergamum, Thyatira, Laodicea, and so forth, that they were included. You would assume Colossae was in the area, and maybe because Paul was dead, maybe it went all the way into Greece. He wrote this letter to be what's called the circular letter, that a lot of congregations would sit in their midst and read it. Remember, there was no New Testament at this particular time. And what does he say to them? He says, I'm going to tell you the same things that I heard when I was in the presence of Jesus. I'm not going to make up anything new. I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to share with you what I heard firsthand. And he says, God is light. <laughs> light in the scriptures often contrasted with darkness. It pictures sin. God is holy. Sin is darkness and bad. And in God, there's nothing but holiness, nothing but good. A God who sent you a Jesus. A God who wants you to spend eternity with him. A God who has planned a, a manner of salvation that it's all dependent on him and not on you. It's grace from the beginning end. Grace heaped upon grace heaped upon grace. And he wants us to proclaim that. That's what he proclaimed. And he was so concerned about that that John was willing to suffer for that. As you know, the last book of the New Testament says John was on the island of Patmos. That was like saying I'm in prison because of his faith in Jesus and his proclaiming the word. Is that still happening? Or do you and I have to pray, Lord, more light, please? I wasn't here. But I'm, <laughs> I know that two weeks ago on Easter, every one of you who was here heard a, an inspiring sermon, a sermon that gave you joy and confidence. Some of you went home, sat down in your living room, and Dad's chair was empty, but you had the joy of the resurrection. 
some of you sat in those chairs and thought about your parents. That they would rise from the grave just as Jesus, who says, I am the first fruits. Is that still happening? Was your church the norm? Or maybe the exception? This is a book I used during my ministry. So it's old. The figures that I'm going to share with you are out of date. But from my perspective, and I hope yours, they've gotten worse. The writer of this book sent out a questionnaire, if you will, to pastors of various churches in various denominations and asked them if they would be willing to fill it out and get it, send it back to him. And many did. Uh, 1,270 Episcopalian pastors responded to the question, did Jesus Christ physically rise from his grave. You know that almost 400 of them said no. 30% said no, we don't believe Jesus physically rose from the grave. Now you may say, well, you're cherry-picking. 2,515 pastors of the Methodist Church were asked the same question. Did Jesus Christ physically die and physically rise from the grave? Almost 1,300 said no. Put that in some perspective. That's about as many pastors as there are in our denomination, the Wisconsin Synod. What would have been your reaction? If Pastor Yonke had got up here two weeks ago and said, no, Jesus really didn't come out of the out of the grave he really didn't rise what would you have taken home when I've shared these with other people and by the way I need to say I'm not saying if you have a relative that's an Episcopalian or a Methodist that they don't believe in the resurrection of, I'm just, resurrection of Jesus. I'm just saying these are the pastors. And I think some of these pastors are misleading their congregation because they recite the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, like we will. But they don't mean 
what I think most people think the words mean. So I was asked when I used this in the ministry, my adult information class, well, what, what do these people mean by the resurrection? What are they saying on, uh, on Easter? And, well, here's a famous one, Harry Emerson Fosdeck. He was a famous preacher about 100 years ago. He was a Presbyterian. He said, call it a persistence of Christ's personality. That's what the resurrection is. What about today? Well, I read it this week. The name Ralph Warnock may ring some bells with you, but if, he do, if it doesn't, I'll refresh you. He is the senator from Georgia that was just elected a couple months ago, and he's a pastor in the, in the Baptist church. And he put up on his web, website, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Christ. Whether we are Christians or not, through a commitment of helping others, we're able to save ourselves. Easter is something transcendent. Thankfully, he pulled that down. People, what happens? to the bedrock of Christianity. Easter is, Paul writes, if Christ be not raised, then you and I might just as well believe in the Easter bunny. Paul writes, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. We are of all men most miserable. And yet you just heard some of the Don't we have to say, Lord, more light, please? Don't we need to pray, Lord? Thank God I heard a sermon two weeks ago. Talked about Jesus getting out of the grave. Saying, because I live, so will you. Again, it doesn't have to do with the resurrection, but in a university or college that was started by the Baptist Church, there's now a professor of theology, a teacher of religion, who wrote a devotional book. And in it she says, so the readers too are to read, Lord, teach me to want to hate white people. And we hear the Lord in our ear whispering, love your neighbor like yourself. He calls it the second greatest commandment. Love God first, then your neighbor. Lord, teach me to hate white people. More light, please, God. More preaching about Jesus. 
the light of the world? I'm not trying to paint you all with the same brush and certainly not to embarrass anyone, but I wonder how many of you two weeks ago went home, maybe said to your wife or your kids or vice versa, you know, Pastor Yankee had a great sermon today and took pretty much for granted. You can't do that, people. We need more light. Apostle John in the same text talks about sin. He says if anyone says he hasn't sinned, he's deceiving himself. What's happened to sin? Don't we find even ourselves excusing it, minimalizing it, making it seem, well, you know, the old fall back on when everyone else is doing it, if that somehow makes it right? If sin were so trivial, and why in the world did our Heavenly Father, who is light, send his Son, who is the light of the world, into the world to go what he went through? And John writes these wor beautiful words. I think, personally, they're some of the most beautiful in the New Testament. He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the whole world. We have an advocate. In your mind, think of an attorney. Again, I don't know when I could preach this sermon in a more timely time than right now, this week, for the last three weeks. One of the most publicized trials in ages is going on in Minneapolis. The officer who put his knee on the neck of George Floyd is being tried. There isn't a person in this room that hasn't seen that video. And probably there isn't a person in this room that hasn't made a judgment that, that Derek Chauvin is guilty. Now, I'm not going to get into that. But Derek Chauvin had an attorney Tomorrow he's going to plead in his final arguments that he should be declared innocent. The way we have a jury system in our country, the worst of the worst, even as deserving, a jury trial, a fair trial, that someone will plead on behalf of whomever. Now you're in the courtroom. 
You're in the courtroom and your heavenly father is judge. And your sin is brought up. Guilty, uh, uh, greedy, check. Use God's name in vain, check. Dishonored people in authority, check. But you have an advocate, you have a judge, an attorney, Jesus Christ. And he points to his heavenly father, and he'll point to you. Say, Father, forgive, and put your name in there, because I paid for their sins. John or Mary, as guilty as guilty can be, But you can't punish them, Heavenly Father, because you punished me. I paid for their sins. Not some of them. Not the big ones. Paid for all of them. And your Heavenly Father is going to say, can't you see him with a big smile? Enter into the joy of your Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do we need more light? People, I'm going to end this sermon in a way I have never ended a sermon and I've been preaching for almost six decades. And I'm sure some of you are going to say that ending was dumb. And if you think that way, I get it. But wouldn't it be wonderful if Pastor Yankee, when he comes home from his vacation, found in his mailbox a letter from you, a card. And Pastor, thanks for what you preached on Easter. I had no idea. Pastor, continue to shedding to shed more light in your sermon. Pastor Yankee, don't become discouraged because some people don't want that. They prefer pablum. What would Pastor Yankee think if even this Sunday you wrote out a little note from the bottom of the yard and shoved it under the door of his office? Saying, Pastor, shed more light. You think that would give him encouragement? Continue preaching the things John preached that he heard directly from Jesus himself. How much effort would it take to write out a little email 
say, Pastor, please keep on preaching like you are. Keep sharing the light of Jesus in my life, in the life of this congregation. That's what brings you together in this church called the Risen Savior. It's not what you think or don't think about public schools or professional football. It's the knowledge of what Jesus has done for you. You think this is goofy? Fine. But at least pray to yourself. More light, please. More light about Jesus in this place.